If you just said this, right? I have to go out and then another hundred of your candidate. I'd, I, I, <laughs> you said saying, that. What I'm saying is, I'd have to take out. Okay, I'll take out Conor Whelan then. Conor Whelan, I, to be that's it. I quit. Subscribe to the GA Podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. All right, you're welcome along. It's Thursdays off the ball. Nathan with you until 10 o'clock. John Giles on the way at half past seven as always. Going to be giving his thoughts on the Champions League final, on Calvin Phillips' potential move to Manchester City and also the news that Paul Pogba has left Manchester United. So that on the way from half past seven. After eight, uh, Eddie Brennan in studio. Huge weekend of provincial finals. Cody against Shefflin. Will there be a handshake before the match? Will there be a handshake after the match? Who knows? But Galway Kilkenny coming up at Crow Park on Saturday night in Leinster and then sold out. Semple Stadium Sunday. Clare against the All-Ireland Champions Limerick. We're going to look ahead to both those games. And after nine, uh, Paul McShane officially announced his retirement from playing over the past week or so. And he's going to join us to talk about his time uh, recently at Manchester United. So even though he had stepped away from uh, senior football, he was actually playing under-23 football at Bazaar. Uh, with Manchester United where he was also a coach and he was slotting in there at centre-back but he's decided he's done with that he's going to focus fully on his coaching and we're going to look back in his career particularly his time with the Republic of Ireland 53106 is the text number add off the ball if you want to get in touch on any of our social channels uh, Richie McCormick good evening Young Nathan how are you? I'm very well Joe Malloy good evening to you Evening gents how you doing? Paul McShane so good he gets two retirement interviews Well indeed I guess it was a testament to him that Manchester United could have invited anybody back to be part of their 23 setup because you're allowed a certain number of overage players now. And he'd left an impression on quite a few people from his time there and they gave him a call. And that speaks volumes, I suppose, about the type of person he must be around uh, training ground. And, and you know, these uh, things are very important when you're trying to set a culture. So uh, always very impressive anytime you talk to him, I think. Very natural, gives an opinion, but... Uh, very professional and, and impressive as well so uh, good luck to him yeah it, it, we'll try and get what we can out of him from his time at Manchester United over the past few months which mm-hmm. has obviously been a very interesting period uh, particularly in comparison to say when he was there as a kid in sort of 03 on peak Ferguson era as to how things have developed since then and I'm sure he'll give us what he can and also uh, what his role is going to be going forward at Manchester United and has he met Eric Ten Hag and what's going on with that and also we'll talk about Ireland because he was on a few months ago uh, with Joe and he spent a lot of time thinking, talking about club career and that we're going to touch a bit more on the Irish side of things and I guess some of the difficult stuff as well because he was part of that era where the criticism became incredibly intense and himself and Glenn Whelan were probably the lightning rod for the vast majority of it Richie that was certainly the stuff that got over the top at times Uh, they were two that were particularly singled out yeah, it was the first dawnings, I guess, of the social media age as re- as it relates to the Republic of Ireland team. And the first thing about social media is it always needs uh, whipping boys of one sort or another. And unfortunately, for both Glenn Whelan and Paul McShane, they slotted into that you know uh, niche. I think for a certain cadre of people throughout the course of their international careers. And I think looking back on both of them, 
I think we can say with some degree of certainty that neither of them were anywhere close to deserving the level of vitriol and bile that was thrown their way by you know several people down through the years because like they always stood up they always turned up for international appearances they always wanted to perform for their country and that is all you can ask of an international footballer and um, you can't instill qualities that you want to be there into people that just may, maybe don't have them and um, but as regards to putting in effort and, and you know putting in their damnedest for their country whenever they wore the jersey i don't think you can really criticize mcshane nor whelan too much what time is Eddie Brennan on it, please? First message in from Anonymous. Uh, Eddie, obviously very popular. He's on at 8 o'clock, just after 8 o'clock. Uh, he was in studio earlier on, so actually, if, if you can't hang around to then, but please do. Uh, you can get on to any of our social channels. You can watch the full thing. Because uh, he was, ended up being in for about an hour. It was one of those that went off on a few tangents. Uh, one of which, I was bemoaning at the start off air, Joe, that um, you know the poor old uh, eight-year-old hurlers of Dublin, who somehow at a period ended up with me as their coach, it feels like they're at a distinct disadvantage for life when the eight-year-old hurler and Kilkenny have Eddie Brennan as their coach and we got into chatting about sort of underage and development and he was saying on air that he had no great interest in hurling at all until he was sort of 16, 17. In fact, he was like every other kid in Kilkenny who was sent to primary school with the hurl in hand and I assumed all of them loved it and spent all day, every lunch break, small break, big break, out pucking ball. He said he'd hide the hurl before he went into the school because he didn't want to play, but he kind of had to bring it with them. And it was about three or four years into it when one of his aunts mentioned to his mother, oh, you know, he doesn't play any hurling with the lads. So he was a very, very late developer. Didn't play underage until minor with Kilkenny. Uh, so I think there's a lesson in there for a lot of people about uh, development and pushing people and just giving them the space to try and develop. Wow, that's amazing. I had no idea. Because hurling, almost as much of a, as any sport we talk about, it does seem you need to start early, very early. Like I um, remember some hurling people talking about this and saying, you know, if you're not started and, and learning the ways and how to protect yourself and how to tackle and all of these things by 8, 9, 10, 11, you know, it's it's real catch-up territory more so than most sports. So that's incredible. I hadn't heard that at all. That's really interesting. As for the Dublin kids that you coached, <laughs> there's probably a level of trauma there that can never be undone, I would say. Well, he did mention, uh, Arthur might remember the name of, was it a Wexford hurler who he reckoned changed their grip at 16 or 17 so they were holding the hurl the wrong way around and my biggest confusion uh, while attempting to I'm not even going to say I was coaching hurling just being there while children were playing hurling was constantly having to try and remind myself what was the correct way to hold the hurl left hand on <laughs> right hand on top left hand, looking around just to see what the adults were doing that's the level I was at when it was coming to uh, coaching the kids at Nathan, hurling so thankfully Nathan, Nathan, I've, Nathan. I've stepped away that's that's why you stick the headphones in, the earphones in at the start of the session, and you kind of saunter over towards the corner of the pitch, and you nah, don't make nah. yourself get involved. That's I, I, you know? I could never do that. I probably should. I was no. thinking I probably should do that. Now I just stick to the football, where I'm not much better, but at least the, yeah. you know it's fairly simple. It's fair, the, it's, there's, it's, there's a little bit less skill involved. By, by the way, it's like it's a who's who of Irish media celebrities on the sidelines of these uh, kids' pitches because. Uh, in in uh, different games through the last while, I've encountered Dave McIntyre uh, as a coach for one of the teams. Go on, go on. Uh, uh, is there is there an angry McIntyre on the sideline? <laughs> is there an angry McIntyre on the sideline? Yeah. Um, he's not too different as to what you might imagine, but he's not as uh, vociferous and as uh, I, I guess traumatizing towards small children as you might imagine. As Did well. he use the word outrageous at any stage? <laughs> disgraceful. Um, the word disgraceful used by McIntyre. 
it was only when I turned up uh, <laughs> that he kind of threw, threw those words out there. Um, but yeah, Tommy Martin as well is another one. I met um, Tommy. I met another, Tommy out yeah. in uh, down in Ring's End a few weeks ago. Yeah, looked to my right in the sideline one one Saturday morning. Got the like, Vincent's Jesus top Christ, on. That's Tommy Martin. He tell you what, he looks like he could do well in midfield. That man doesn't he? He like he's he's fit and ready to go and play inter county. Uh, look, and he puts us all to shame. Uh, to be honest, you particularly. Um, but particularly Bloody just hell. all Uncalled of us. Uncalled for. Shame. Uncalled for. Sorry, that was a bit harsh, wasn't it? Bloody hell, Richie, you've upset me there now. Uh, and and but you're you're just walking off in the corner with the headphones on, listening to the podcast, while the rest of us yeah. are out there volunteering our time. Yeah. Absolutely, catching up on golf weekly, Nathan. That's what I do. That is uh, Richie. Come on, you gotta, you gotta step up. What are you giving back to the club? My presence. Wow. Are you a like an official coach, or is this just a thing where parents are encouraged to hang around? Well, I, I, I think in the GAA, there's in. not much difference yeah. between official coach and parent who hangs around. Like, there's no. So our kids are what twenty thirteen. Like, there's no official paid coach with them. It's fifteen parents who divide them up. And off yeah. we go. Tuesday, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. You don't have to show your badges around. Relentless. Right no, no, they're obviously encouraged at all the clubs to do your coaching badges and do your foundation courses and courses and step up along the way. And I'm, I presume as they get a bit older and numbers start to fall off, those who have the greater interest and who do more of the coaching courses are the ones who end up managing the yeah. teams. But generally, it's left to the parents to to volunteer. So there's. Uh, yeah, there's the development officers at the club, but they're in charge of the greater coaching of the coaches. But yeah, it's like when we were kids, Joe, the exact same. Whoever yeah. steps up. Well, you could always teach them how to celebrate winning an innocuous free in their own half. And that's crucial. Mm-hmm. That's key. That's intrinsic to the game of hurling. You could... You could you, fist bumps. You know, fist That could bumps, have been my thing. All that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, getting in the opposition face. Showmanship, with showmanship is of, key, Nathan. Yeah, You're all getting about Getting in showmanship. the opposition face with a bit of a fist pump. Mm-hmm. Wow, I haven't seen McIntyre on the sideline yet. I think that could be a grudge match. Yeah, that we're not at fun. stage. We're not really at stage. Where we're playing north side, south side yet. You see, so you're north siders and I'm a south sider. That's when yeah. things will get really tough. I think that's next year. We've, we've played a few south siders. Have you? Uh, from time, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. I've come across a, a couple of them. Yeah, absolutely. So there's been we've had a trip to Cooler. I think this time last year as well. So oh, yeah, Cooler yeah. good. Cooler, Cooler very good. Uh, it's funny the morning yeah. I have Joe about uh, having to go to the north side. So we're we have a friendly against Fingolians on Saturday. It's a long bloody way all the way up the M50. And I think back to the good old days of Mayo when we play Ackle. Ackle, two and a half hours on a bus from Ballyhonus. You get there and the match will be called off. <laughs> Kids these days yeah. don't know how good they have it. Similar experiences anyway. trekking into. Fairview from Selbridge where I grew up and there was it was such a thing like it really was where you'd be getting changed wind howling winter miserable ref hasn't turned up we're like under 11s ref hasn't turned up and you'd have to be a decision are we going to play and let one of the managers ref it or now the other team don't want to change again in the car head home I, I like so many occasions ref didn't turn up playing DDSL football and trekking in from Selbridge and would you, when you were trekking into Fairview from Selbridge, because you were obviously proper culties, I'd imagine, back then, back when you were growing up, if you're coming in from Selbridge. No? Well, well I think... No? No, no, not especially. I think it was it was a community. Like, would, they, would, would the uh, lads around Fairview and the clubs playing in Fairview, would they have sort of looked down at you as soft touch? Um, I don't think so, particularly. No, I don't remember that being... I don't remember being called culties. I don't, I don't no. think so. No, not especially. No, no. I think even back then, Selbridge was a little bit, okay. you know, kind of a almost a suburb of Dublin to a degree, especially yeah, in football terms, exactly. I guess. 
Anyways, once again, we've gone off on a long tangent. 53106 is the text number at Off The Ball. Uh, if you want to get in touch, news are brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, starting with the tennis, Richie. Yep, world number one, Iga Sviantec will play American teenager Coco Goff in Saturday's French Open Women's Singles Final. 2020 champion Sviantec needed just 64 minutes to dispatch Daria Kazakina 6-2-6-1. The polls said her win today was an emotional one and afterwards explain why. Well, just, you know, being able to be in the final again, it's um, it's great, especially when I didn't know actually how I'm going to play here after so many tournaments that I've played. Um, it seemed kind of obvious for me that the streak may come to an end soon. So, so I just wanted to take it really step by step and uh, I didn't have any exact goals on this tournament and just seeing how my game is developing every match it's something that's giving me a lot of you know hope and uh, i'm just proud of myself uh, the winning streak she mentioned there 34 mm. matches by the way she also uh had a lot to say about amelie moresmo so amelie moresmo is the tournament director uh Swiatek said it was disappointing and surprising to hear that moresmo had said that women's games weren't as appealing as men's matches this after criticism of moresmo who only put one of 10 night sessions at this year's event was a women's match uh Swiatek said i think women's tennis has a lot of advantages moresmo had said it's her first year as tournament director she said it was more difficult to put women's matches on late she said there was more traction and appeal in men's matches difficult to find confrontation or star to showcase in the women's matches yeah, she's climbed down from that stance in the last 24 hours. You mm. mightn't be surprised to hear. So she's uh, walking back from that. We were wondering with Caitlin Thompson last night, was this some kind of post-feminist brutal honesty on Moresmo's part? But I think uh, she's probably reconsidering the position and they're going to rectify it next year. Because generally, US Open, for instance, they'll have one from the male side of the draw, one from the female side of the draw when it comes to nighttime matches. And that seems to work perfectly well. Mm. It's a difficult balance, Richie, that the women's game has in that it's far more competitive than the men's game. There's a far greater breadth of talent. But because of that, you don't get to know the personalities quite as well as having the same three, four, five men competing in the semifinals every single tournament. Yeah, the landscape's changed almost entirely um, over the last 20 years. And that thing of having three, four of the same men at the top of the, you know, the three for each major tournament, like that will begin to die away over the next while and men's the men's game will i won't say suffer the same problem but it will encounter the same issues say that the women's game has at the moment which is trying to highlight um i guess uh, it's it's star performers but it's a trickier thing because everything is now so fragmented and people will follow who they follow and people will like who they like and the ability to go overground and the ability to enter the mass consciousness uh, in from the world of sport is going to be a more and more difficult thing not just throughout the world of tennis but in diff- different sports because the nature of media is so fragmented that you know everyone has their own instagram feed everyone has their own tiktok feed everyone has their own twitter feed and you know you follow each individuals and you kind of get locked into that little world um as regards people who are going to be superstars the likes of the martina and radilovas and steffi grafts and john McEnroe's and yada 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 that's never going to happen again it's just it's, it's just impossible for it to happen again so it's, I guess, just up to each and every tennis player to, to carve their own niche. And you want you want natural rivalries, I guess. And this is what this could be now, looking at the age profiles of both Sviantec and Goff. Goff's 18, Sviantec's uh, just, I think, uh, celebrated her birthday the other day. I think she's 1920. Um, like, they could be set for domination of the game over the next few years because the age profile is on their side. 
they have games that do kind of nicely mesh together in terms of what they can put together in a court so we could be uh, fingers crossed seeing the, the start of something pretty special in this final on Saturday so as you mentioned it's Coco Golf she's playing in the final yeah Golf reaching her first ever Grand Slam singles final and beating the unseeded Italian Martina Trevisan 6-3-6-1 she's the youngest woman to reach a Grand Slam singles final since Maria Sharapova at Wimbledon 18 years ago and despite the magnitude of what she's already achieved Goff is unruffled yeah, I think I'm in a mindset now, like it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm going to be happy regardless. I know my parents are going to love me regardless, so I'm just going to go into it like another match. I don't, I mean, yeah, it's a Grand Slam final, but like there's so many things going on in the world right now that, um, and especially in the U.S., a lot of stuff is happening right now. So I think it's not important to stress over a tennis match. Uh, that's a fair outlook, though. Your parents might love you more if you're a Grand Slam champion. Let's be sure. She's, always, she's, she's got a remarkable head so, and shoulders. She's been so impressive yeah. from day one. Yeah, really, really mature from early on. Just completed her high school education. I was going to say college education. She's not old enough to have done that yet. So she's just completed her high school education while, you know, keeping Grand Slam run on the side going. But I do agree, like the women's game needs stars. Emma Raducanu comes along and, and pierces through and then has fallen away and, and hopefully she rebounds and Ash Barty I think really kind of caught the imagination with her Australian and open win and then she's retired Coco Goff has kind of caught the imagination but you know she's very young still and hasn't uh, been able to achieve great consistency and you, you do need that and even if it's just one even if it's uh, you know Serena Williams no one can stop mm. Serena that just gives you something to hang a tournament on and the male game has had that so brilliantly for like the last nearly 20 years with the four lads and it's been extraordinary and you've been able to hang a narrative in a tournament on those four every time like Nadal Djokovic just the other night made damn sure to see it could be the last time there's a frostiness there they're also gunning for who's going to end up top dog in the Grand Slam hunt so there's there's all these ingredients that you need and um, you know if we come along in the next Grand Slam and it's two new names then I just it just it just has, 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 has lacked that anchor since Serena has um, moved on a touch, I think. Well, it's similar to the conversation maybe in men's golf around Tiger, that there was a feeling yeah. when Tiger was dominating, he was too big for the game. But actually, since Tiger has, I won't say not been relevant, he's always still relevant. Like, we've had four or five guys come around and we thought they might be the next big thing, but they haven't fully grabbed the public's imagination. So we have now the world number one, Scotty Scheffler, who... I'm not lying, could walk down Grafton Street and not a single person would recognise who he is. Like, that is the problem, that you are hanging your hat then on a variety of players where dominance is good. Dominance can be a good thing. As you oh, say, yeah. it gives you something to compare to. Totally. Tiger versus the field, Serena versus the field, Federer versus the field, Nadal at the French Open. That all worked, you know. Uh, Liverpool, Richie, we spoke about this again last night, but uh, further developments today? Yeah, Liverpool CEO Billy Hogan has shared his disbelief at the French Interior Minister and Sports Minister's appearances at the French Senate yesterday. He's called for an independent investigation and not just a report into the events surrounding Saturday's Champions League final. Hogan said the club has received over 6,500 submissions from fans sharing their experiences of the authorities' mismanagement of the game in Paris. And he says it was not just Liverpool fans who suffered on Saturday. I spoke to my counterpart um, at Real Madrid um, in a couple uh, yesterday, excuse me, who made it clear that their fans also had issues. Um, they had major concerns with the match day operation, including the policing operation around the match. Um, we spoke for a while about this yesterday, um, and I know they're equally concerned about making sure that this, again, is an independent and open investigation. And my understanding is that Real Madrid is going to be um, putting some details out across their channels uh, about this as well. So um, 
you know, I, I referenced it um, earlier in the week. And again, maybe it's just terminology, but we at Liverpool have been calling for an investigation into what happened uh, in Paris on Saturday, not a report. Um, I think those are two very different things. Um, and we've written to UEFA again today and raised specific questions, 13 specific questions that we'd like them to clarify um, around the details of this, this investigation. Um, and we need clarity around what those points are asking, those questions that we've asked to fully understand the proposed process. Um, and we just feel it's incredibly important um, that we get this investigation going, um, and frankly, that we get, we get it launched immediately and that there are clear specifics around the process and how it's going to work. In terms of how this finishes, Joe, uh, with a satisfactory conclusion, I guess the only way is that there's recommendations put in place that this can't happen again. It's, it's hard to see what stance Liverpool will or, or can take as, a, as retribution against UEFA for the way their supporters were treated. Do you boycott yeah, matches? No, you- I know what you're saying. I don't think so. I don't think there can be retribution or punishment as such. But I think what has struck everybody is it was a very, very bad night for the French police and French authorities. But what's turning a very bad night into something of a scandal is the, I mean, it would seem to most people, the outright like line of the French interior and sports ministers about 40,000 plus Liverpool fans turning up, about 70% of tickets being fake or uh, fans turning up without tickets falling into that 70% bracket as well. These numbers just seem ridiculous and they are I think exacerbating the situation because they just won't come out and just fess up and as a species uh, be it on an individual level or industrial level or commercial level or or systematic level we're often not very good at just coming out and just just hold your hands up like just come out and just say this one is on us not come out and say the fans were late actually no it's not the fans were late there were 40,000 fans with no tickets or fake tickets etc it's nonsensical and they're turning this very very bad night into now something of a saga and uh, I think Liverpool uh, I was going to say kind of smell blood here but they, they you know they, they sense that the French interior ministers and sports ministers are uh, talking absolute nonsense so there's actually probably an incentive there now to say well let's let's really examine what you're saying and tear it apart because it is so nonsensical so um, I don't know they're 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 creating a, a storm almost by not just coming out and like if they came out, held their hands up, apologized profusely and showed all of the things that went wrong and all of the things they're going to make sure don't happen again. I think there'd be a degree where everyone would have to say, OK, look, none of us are perfect. We can understand these things happen. A couple of interesting pieces of League of Ireland news, Richie. Yeah, there is indeed. John Russell is the new manager of Sligo Rovers. The former bit of red midfielder replaces Liam Buckley, who left the club nearly a fortnight ago. 37-year-old Russell has been in temporary charge for Sligo's last two games, a win over Derry and a draw with UCD. His first full game in charge will come at home to Finn Harps on June the 18th. And Kerry could finally have a team in the League of Ireland from next season. Kerry Football Club have applied to enter the FAI's club licensing process with a view to joining the first division next term. They're backed by former Cork City star Billy Dennehy and the American-based director's Stephen Conway and Brian Ainscoff. Yeah, this seems like a really positive move. Obviously, it's a very Dublin-dominated Premier Division at the moment, uh, and five teams from Dublin then throw Dundalk and draw it in within an hour of Dublin as well. And this building, Richie, towards having three divisions, which I think everyone's a little bit unsure of, considering what the first division yeah. is at the moment, and you know the way players are often treated, and that the sort of contracts they're on, the money they're on. You know, can Irish football sustain a third league? But 
there's such a hotbed of football in the likes of Kerry, Mayo, that just aren't being served at the moment, that anything that shows a bit of progress, I think we've got to get behind. Yeah, absolutely. And there's even, like, you can go into Munster Senior League and Leinster Senior League teams that there are players who have decided against playing in First Division, say, football or Premier Division football to a degree, uh, but particularly First Division, and go and play Leinster and Munster Senior League because it works out better for them. And they end up being competitive leagues and competitive teams. But there has been a need to expand the league into areas where it just hasn't touched in the last while or it has previously been and has died away. And there are, you know, massive footballing communities there just ready to be tapped into uh, Kerry being one of them uh, you'd obviously know yourself that Mayo has probably been calling out for a team uh, for longer than we can care to remember and the natural rivalries that that can create having Sligo and Galway either side of you as well and then you get back into the likes of maybe reviving something in around I know Carlo Kilkenny tried to get back into the mix uh, last year that might again raise its head because uh, since Kilkenny City died away unfortunately like there has been a need to get another team in around that area of Leinster too it can only be a positive um, because I think spreading the game is something that the FAI have not done properly I don't think in the past 20 years they've just tried to keep the league together and keep it existing and keep it rolling but actually having it grow and having having a natural life and having sides in all areas of the country can only be a positive thing for pretty much all concerned going forward the, the other point of course to make as well is if League of Ireland clubs now are going to be responsible to a large extent for developing talent then you want them spread around the country as much as possible mm. like there is it is no good having this very Dublin centric league if we're like as, as, as part of this plan we have now particularly post, post Brexit where we're going to say well the League of Ireland clubs will bring players through I mean one of the aspects we probably haven't discussed enough is what about the pockets the huge pockets of the mm. country where there aren't League of Ireland clubs where do you where do you come through if you're a brilliant footballer in Kerry to trek to Cork or or Limerick so you know that's another aspect to this whole thing yeah if you're from Dingle uh, having to make the trek to Cork or Limerick probably ain't yeah. going to happen for you whereas at least yeah. uh, maybe Killarney's a bit more realistic just to finish up Richie uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of speculation about it but confirmed today a massive change to the Champions Cup yeah, the EPCR confirming that South African teams will be competing in the United Rugby Championship that will be also entered into European competition from next season. The DHL Stormers, Vodacom Bulls and Cell Sea Sharks will all compete in the Heineken Champions Cup next term. The Emirates Lions will enter the Challenge Cup as will the Bloemfontein-based Cheetahs who've been invited to play in the second-tier competition. The formats, perhaps most importantly for both competitions, are going to be revealed in the coming weeks. Why can't these things just stay the same, Joe, forever? I, I know. Part of me does think that. Uh, Owen Redden was on last night and he was saying with the addition of these South African sides this tournament will he thinks over the next couple of years become the tournament the biggest tournament that all the players want to win at club rugby and it will just be um, bigger better than ever and I totally see that am I like I'm probably the only one thinking too much about this but like over the next 10-20 years like sustainability is going to become increasingly an issue I mean flying up and down different hemispheres uh, getting fans to do it as well I mean like the carbon footprint of this thing is off the charts maybe that's a minor concern it always crosses my mind increasingly with sport it does feel and this is South Africa are in a, a difficult position because of their sure. location that they're so far from wherever they decide to go and try and play but like the European Cup and I know we're harking back to the Munster days was built on rivalries and the great nights in Tolman Park when the English sides was come over like fans just aren't going to travel to these games like we're going to end up so. in that American franchise scenario where there are no away fans at these matches. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, yeah, so like, I don't love the thought of it, I have to be honest, but... It's clearly building up to South Africa in the Six Nations. Yeah, it does seem that way, which again, 
really don't love the thought of that. So um, look, who knows? And, and the whole landscape is changing dramatically and in three, four, five years, it may sort itself out properly once and for all. But um, I don't know. I don't, I don't sense a, a huge appetite for this. Like, what would you say about the South, South African sides in the URC? Have they, have they made it all the more better for you? Yeah, been fine. Yeah, yeah. forgettable. Forgettable. All right, we got to leave it at that. Uh, coming to you live and exclusive and off the ball next season. I'll be in South Africa. Nathan, first, it's, first it's, trip, it's, first trip to South the, Africa. We'll be there, Joe. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I cannot wait to bring you Leinster against the Bulls live from South Africa. We're sending the full production team. Magic, Joe. Thank you as always. All right, lads. Richie, enjoy the weekend. Nice, lads.